Wait, wait, there's smoke coming out of my Mac. Is that right? <laughs> uh, that's going to be a Java update. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 109 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. John Papa. Hello. Jules Kramer. Hello. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Go check out angularremoteconf.com for three days of awesome Angular stuff online. Uh, we have two special guests this week. We have Mike Hardington. Hello. And Justin Willis. Hey, everyone. Uh, do you two want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Justin, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I'm a support engineer at Ionic. Um, so if you've ever been on our GitHub or come into uh, possibly even Slack or even on Twitter, um, I'm constantly out there in the Ionic community. Um, I also have been doing a lot of progressive web app stuff with Ionic lately. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Cool. And uh, I'm Mike, um, developer on the framework. Uh, Basically, I do the same thing. I'm out there constantly in touch with our community. And then I also do some real work on the side. <laughs> real work. That and, doesn't sound like and, fun. And if I can just jump in here real quick, because I don't know if Michael, you know, kind of talk about some of, some other stuff that he's done. But he actually did a, uh, a Vim series on Egghead. That was uh, pretty awesome. So just <laughs> yeah, if you got 10 minutes to watch, it's a nice little intro. We had Mike and Matt, who's... Uh, I, th I think he's the founder or something like that of Ionic. Uh, yeah, Matt's the uh, lead on uh, Ionic Creator. Okay. And we talked about Ionic then and Ionic Creator. Do you kind of want to fill us in on what's new in Ionic since October of last year? Yeah, sure. Uh, since last year. Oh, God, it's going to be a lot of stuff. Uh, we've <laughs> basically been heads down on Ionic 2 and uh, working really hard at getting everything kind of finalized and uh, building out the framework so that way it's taking advantage of all the uh, fancy new stuff that Angular 2 offers and that we have with new like kind of tooling systems that are out there. So what does Ionic 2 have to offer? That's the question, Mike. <laughs> uh, it has a lot to offer. Uh, basically, when we kind of decided to work on Ionic 2, we took everything that we had with Ionic 1 and went back and said, how can we make this easier? How can we make this faster? And how can we just overall improve everything, uh, you know, 10, 20 times 
Uh, and we've gone back and simplified all the coding structure, simplified all of the components, and just spent so much time trying to make Ionic even simpler than it was in uh, version one. Keep going. <laughs> Details, man. Details. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, like, you know, make, taking advantage of all the TypeScript stuff, taking advantage of all of the, you know, the new build details that we have coming down with uh, Angular and uh, the off the ahead of time uh, compiler that we are currently working on uh, and even going as far as to take advantage and start getting set up for some of the progressive web app stuff that uh, you know we really want to take advantage of as well. Uh, Justin can talk a little bit more about the progressive web app stuff as well. Can we can we kind of get that high level overview real quick of you know we know what Ionic is and I think most of our listeners do but if they're choosing today, I think we're at a weird point, right? Where we have to choose between Ionic one or two. What? Sh how should people make that decision right now? So that decision is, yeah, really important. Um, if you have a project that needs to be done in like two to three weeks, a month, month and a half, you know, maybe consider sticking with Ionic one because it's out there, it's stable, it's well tested. But if you have, you know, a brand new project, not due for in the immediate future, yeah, maybe consider taking a look into Ionic 2 and start working with Angular 2 as well. So if I've got something that's going to be delivered, just give, because podcasts, you know, people watch and recording, uh, by October-ish, and I want to put words in your mouth, then I probably want to stick with Ionic 1. But if it's something that might deliver after that, then you'd say go to Ionic 2. Is that what I'm hearing? Like most things, it kind of depends on the app. Uh, if it's a very, very complicated app, uh, you might want to consider... Uh, sticking with Ionic One at least, but if it's you know a rather straightforward app and you know you don't have to do a whole lot of work, yeah, take it uh take Ionic Two into consideration. That's good to know. So if somebody wants to get started with one of these right now. I mean, if you don't know either one of them, is it easy to learn Ionic One right now? Then go to Ionic Two, or should somebody just jump right to Ionic Two, or kind of what's that look like? I mean, I had an interesting uh, point, like because I knew Ionic one really, really well. And then I kind of started jumping into the Ionic 2 stuff uh, a little bit after it's been, it had been developed. Uh, and it's pretty uh, straightforward. Like, if you know Ionic 1, you should be able to pick up the, uh, the new APIs and kind of the new components uh, rather easily. Um, many of the components that we had in Ionic 1 are still there in Ionic 2. And, and similarly with the APIs, Okay, so it's basically if I want to do this and I want to go to Ionic 2, I'm just going to use Angular 2 TypeScript and components versus Ionic 1 where I'm going to use Angular 1 and the uh, the older style of technology, right? Right. So something i got to ask you this. I, I'm in the middle of some Ionic projects right now, and the first thing I realized is that we were using Ionic 1 because we are delivering like right away, and we wanted to get it out there and it's live. But as soon as I did NPM install for Ionic, I got Ionic 2. So... So for <laughs> NPM <laughs> install global Ionic? Yes. So, yeah, that's kind of a tale of, uh, of naming woes uh, on our part. Um, no one would suspect that Bower would have gone away uh, so quickly. Uh, the actual global install of Ionic, that is the CLI. Um, and then the actual package name for Ionic is Ionic-Angular. Uh, so, yeah, it's a common thing uh, that we hear 
quite often. So, and, and are you talking about Ionic 2 or Ionic 1? So the CLI is just called Ionic. I got that. Right. But if I'm using Angular 1, should I be getting should I be using the Ionic CLI that's called Ionic that's version 2 or the one that's like 1.7? No, it should be using uh, Ionic 2, the okay. CLI for Ionic 2.0. Yeah. So it's okay to build an Ionic 1 app using the Ionic 2.0 NPM CLI. Right. It has all the same functionality to work okay. with both projects, and it knows if you're in a V1 project or in a V2 project and is able to adjust accordingly. Awesome. And then the actual NPM package I use that gets packaged with my project is the Ionic-Angular, and that's got versions for 1 and for version 2? Correct. Okay. I just want to make sure that's clear because that, that confused our team when we got into it. We're doing Angular, Angular 1 with Ionic 1 to deliver, but we used the CLI for two, which was weird at first. Yeah, the CLI, I think one of the big important things was that the it should have compatibility to uh, switch back and forth. So, I mean, that part is kind of uh, can't really change the name of the most popular like CLI package that we have. Uh, so we just kept it like that, and we named right. the actual framework version of it uh, Ionic Angular. Okay. <laughs> so my understanding was that Ionic 2 is kind of centered around Angular 2. Yeah. So um, with all the RCs and changes that have come and gone, um, you know, how, how much work have you all had to do to keep up with it? And what has been the experience so far with Ionic 2 as things have moved from one to the other? Very early on, it was uh, it was quite a process to kind of keep going with all the betas and all the alphas. Because uh, they were coming out like every other day, it seemed. Um, but as things kind of have stabilized on the Angular front, uh, the upgrades kind of being uh, have been kind of easier each time. So going from like RC3 to RC4 wasn't too big of a change. Uh, and, you know, sticking with all the RCs and the later betas, it's been uh, pretty easy to upgrade. A lot of the, a lot of the internal changes... While they may be, uh, while that may take a little bit for us, uh, we kind of been working hard to make sure that any changes that our users would have to work with between Angular RC four or RC five, even um, we're trying to make sure that those changes are uh, very minimal, at least on the users front. So that way, they have an easier time upgrading, and we can just kind of handle all the hard parts. So does that mean that you abstract away some of the Angular stuff in Ionic? Yeah, some of the some of the uh, Angular bits get uh, abstracted away because we just want to make sure that we are we have all of Ionic uh, taken care of and injected ready in the whole bootstrapping process. So uh, I think a good example is like our Ionic Bootstrap that gets all uh, they it handles all of uh, injecting Ionic, all the animation providers, all the gestures. Uh, so that way, users would just have to write Ionic Bootstrap, pass it the name of the component, uh, root component that they want to, you know, initialize, and everything else kind of just happens uh, magically. You know, I want to talk about something that I think is just fascinating that you guys do, and it's something I'd love to see more teams do. And that, and, and I'm obviously a big fan of Ionic and, and both of Angular. But something I really love that you guys did is this Ionic CLI. You can actually create your own project very simply. And what this does is it allows people who know very little about the app or the technology but may want to get into it to run the CLI and just run, for example, Ionic Start Foo, and you get a project. 
So it's not only a CLI to run the app, but it also generates and creates projects and it can get you off the ground running and uh, you know you can serve things with that CLI. I'm curious, why did you guys go this route? Because that's not, there's a couple of places that do that out there, but that's not commonplace yet out in the industry. So what led you to do this? Just the ease of development. Um, you know, if our users have to kind of read like 50 pages of documentations or kind of have like, okay, step one, install this. Step two, make a directory. Step three, create all these files. Uh, here's your package JSON. We've already lost them. Um, at that point, they're not really focused on any of the of anything. They're having to learn like other things that aren't Ionic. With the CLI and having all this kind of scaffold out, they can, like you said, start a project and just get up and running, you know, in under a minute. And how much overlap is there with the Ionic 2 CLI, uh, which is really the same as the one, I guess, but you just put dash V2 and stuff. But how much overlap is there with that and the working with the Angular 2 CLI that they're they're building? Right now, uh, there isn't too, there isn't really any overlap. Um I think, Justin, you know more on the Angular uh, CLI than I do. Sure, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are some similarities. So, like, with the Angular CLI, they have um, where, where you can use it to generate components and, and all that good stuff, components, pipes. Um, the Ionic CLI can can also do the same. Um, so, something I, get, I hear a lot of praise for is you can do Ionic generate page and then whatever you want the page name to be. And it will go ahead and generate you an, an Ionic page that's ready to go with all the, the SAS files, the TypeScript file, and the HTML file out of the box. Beyond that, at this point, there's not really too much overlap with the uh, Angular CLI and the Ionic CLI. Do you see that in the future? Or I mean, I understand right now because the speed of development is probably not overlapping much. But do you see this being something where the Ionic one kind of piggybacks in the Angular one? Or do you see them as being separate? Or would like the Ionic one create a blue blueprint for the Angular CLI, which I believe is coming in the future? Um, I don't really see much overlap between. I mean, it's, uh, it is Angular. You know, Ionic is Angular and Angular is, is Angular. Um, but there are, you know, a, a few key differences between the two. Um, so I don't really see any, any um, kind of piggybacking going on between the Angular CLI and the Ionic CLI. I'm sure there will be some more... Um, Features that are the same. So, like I uh, said, the generate uh, generate commands. That's kind of a same feature between the two. Um, so there may be some more features coming out of the Angular CLI, especially once they get farther with their uh, Webpack build that they're changing to. Um, that may be similar, but I don't really see much um, kind of piggybacking going on or anything like that. I mean, really, who knows? We're uh, we're horrible at telling the future. So maybe exactly. three or four months from now, we're all kind of piggybacking on the Angular CLI. <laughs> That's what the Angular team always says. We're terrible at telling the future. We're not going to tell you when stuff comes out. <laughs> I mean, it's the safest thing to do. That's how it rolls when you run a product. Doesn't you make know. me so, you feel know, better. So, so, you know, a couple of years ago, we had uh, we had this world where companies were deciding between do I build a native app or do I build a Cordova-based app, which today one of the leaders in Cordova is Ionic. Uh, so congratulations to you guys there. Not the only player in the game, but you're one of the leaders. But now we have other things, too. We have things that are like, um, I don't know what to categorize these as, but you write C-sharp or Java, uh, and you end up with a native app. So things like the C-sharp side is you write Xamarin, lets you write C-sharp and you end up with a native application. 
But then one level down the scale is, well, let's say I, I know JavaScript, but I still want a native app. Uh, and I, Ionic doesn't appeal to me because you're creating a Cordova app. And maybe I've got some taste in my mouth as an executive where I don't like Cordova, which we should talk about. Uh, and I, an option I could do is I could write uh, either React Native and get a native app, or I could write Native Script with JavaScript and Angular and get a native app. Or I could choose the Ionic route and go Ionic 2 and write it with Cordova. And then a fifth option we could do is progressive web apps. And I know that you guys play in a couple of those pawns. And don't forget Electron. To don't forget Electron. Electron ain't going to run on my phone, though. So at least not today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. where, uh, where do you guys play in those and why? I mean, they're all like great technologies, and I don't want to kind of say anything negative about them because if you're a C sharp, okay. you if, you if, if you're a C, uh, C sharp shop or like you know you are C sharp developers, it doesn't make sense for you to try to relearn you know to learn JavaScript and learn all that. Might as well just use Xamarin. Uh, they and they all appeal to different kind of developers. Um, if you are comfortable, you know, with more of a native background. Some of those projects, yeah, it makes sense if you're comfortable with that and you are okay with diving into like some Objective C or Swift or even some Java for whatever reasons. Those are that's fine. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with them. Ionic and you know, kind of Cordova have this nice little uh, user group where these are people who are the web developers, people who don't really particularly want to know uh, Objective C or Swift or don't want to write it. And don't want to deal with uh, Java, and just want to stick with you know DOM. They want to stick with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and that's where they're comfortable at. Is that what you see people coming to you for? Is that like the developer persona, basically? If you're a web developer, you like Ionic. Uh, is that kind of where your target's been? Yeah, that's kind of that has been our target. Um, you know, it's from from like a sales kind of standpoint. It's a big user group that. Uh, really doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Uh, you know, the people who are the traditional, I, I, I know JavaScript, CSS, you know, I messed with jQuery back in the day. Uh, and, you know, that's where our kind of group, our user group kind of thrives. And in the progressive web app versus Ionic, well, not really versus, but um, we can kind of define what progressive web apps are. I'll let you guys go there if you want. I know that there's been some recent developments with Ionic and PWAs and Ionic with Cordova. Can you guys uh, kind of explain the difference between those two and why you're playing in both those areas? Yeah, Justin, this is this is your <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah, so um, with Ionic 2 especially, um, and I would just like to say you can build a PWA with Ionic 1, um, and it will work great out of the box and all that good stuff. Um, but with Ionic 2, we are working on making a progressive web app, um, kind of like a first citizen standing right next to, to Cordova. Um, and kind of the cool thing about Ionic is since we, we are based on web technologies, um, you know, we are purely web, um, that same app that runs in Cordova on your phone will 95% of the way work just as good as a PWA or even Electron way in the future. Um, so that kind of gives Ionic developers, you can, you know, deploy your app across Cordova, you can deploy it as a progressive web app. Um, and, you know, all these, anything else that the web runs on, you can pretty much deploy an Ionic 2 app to. And, you know, with progressive web apps, you get a lot of the, the um, low entry to users. So, you know, instead of a user having to pull up the app store, download an app, and then, you know, then open the app and actually get that functionality. 
if you decide to deploy your, your Ionic 2 app as a, a PWA, they simply open up a URL and boom, there is the app. It's ready to go. Um, they don't even really have to install it to their home screen if they don't want to. Can you can you explain a little bit like what a PWA is and, and where they came from? Because they seem to come out of nowhere last year. Sure, yeah. Um, so a progressive web app is really, um, it's a web app that is using a lot of new technologies that have come out in the past few years um, to make them more app-like. And along with some of the things that like uh, browsers are doing now, allow those apps to be added to the home screen of your phone and uh, sit right next to all the native apps that you have installed on your phone. Um, so progressive web, you uh, basically write a web app and you give it a service worker, you give it a manifest.json file. And with those two things, that gives you offline capabilities that native apps have had for years and years, um, but with your web app instead. And the manifest basically just tells the browser like, hey, I want the, the user to be able to add it to the home screen. Um, and here's my icon for that. Um, that way, it to the user, it appears to just be any normal app that they would put on their phone. Um, but with all the benefits that come along with, um, like I said before, uh, just being able to visit a URL and there's your app and, and all that good stuff. So, so limited we, limited device features and integration right now and support on uh, native devices, but it's it's growing fast, right? Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's growing really fast. Um, most of the like core functionality that is available in Cordova uh, is starting to become available inside of the browser. So things like file access, uh, camera inputs, all of that is you know slowly becoming available to these uh, evergreen browsers that we have out there. And with Chrome, I would just like to add um, the support for all these APIs are increasingly uh, becoming available very fast. Um, so like Service Worker is is way more far, far supported now than just a couple of months ago. Um, things like Vibration API, being able to use Get User Media to get access to the camera. Most of your big browsers like Chrome, uh, Firefox, Edge, Opera, and even Safari, um, there's a lot of those APIs are already available. And um, with all the new APIs coming down the chute, I see in a couple of years being able to do almost just as much functionality with your web app as you can with a native app. And if I want to do more native type features, that's when I jump from PWA up to Ionic with Cordova, right? And Dispel the rumors now. Let's play uh, personas. Let's pretend I'm some C-level executive, and I'm looking at. And I've heard Cordova is bad. It's not. It's a too risky for proposition. Um, you get slow apps. They're just not as good as native. Why would I bet Ionic? And tell me why I'm wrong. Those negative uh, ideas that Cordova, you know, kind of has may have come from two, three, three years ago or so. Like back in the early days when. We were still dealing with frameworks that weren't focused on performance. We weren't. We were having to kind of like take this plugin and this, you know, UI component and kind of make this together. And maybe we had backbone somewhere in there because we needed some kind of way to uh, have some kind of models. Where Ionic kind of, you know, shines is that we take care of all of the hard stuff. So all the performance issues, all the animations. We make all that just kind of easy. So, so I have a question. I'm I'm curious. It seems like since Ionic's been around for a while, there are probably um, apps out there that people have used that they may not realize have been written in Ionic. Are, are there some good examples out there that kind of give people an idea of what Ionic's capable of, and also 
possibly help dispel some of the um, uncertainty around uh, Ionic and Cordova that John brought up a minute ago. Oh, so I have like two apps that right off the bat I, I know. Um, so far, my favorite, my favorite, not even just like Ionic app, but just my favorite app in general, um, Untapped, because I love uh, it's basically social network for beer. Uh, you check in what kind of beer you can post it, share to uh, like all the social medias that are out there. Uh, they recently just rebuilt um, as an Ionic app, uh, and they have quite a big user base. Uh, and another one is uh, Swerkit. It's been featured on both the uh, Google Play Store and iOS uh, App Store as kind of one of the top top apps. And last time I, I chatted with them, I think they were up to like 12 million downloads. 12 million people can't be wrong about an app. The other question I have is, um, can you write things like games in Ionic with, I don't know, some of the game uh, SDKs out there? I mean, you could theoretically. I mean, if you use things like Phaser, um, it's it's possible. But they're, depending on the game that you want to write, it may just not make sense to use web technology for that. Uh, there are very specialized APIs that take advantage of all the hardware that all the hardware specific features that you know iOS and Android has. Uh, that it just makes more sense to do in that. I have a question and a, and a comment actually. Um, so my comment, and I don't know that a lot of people who are listening probably know this, but I've mentioned it in a couple of keynotes that Ionic is probably has been our first. I don't know if you want to call it beta tester for Angular 2. And Ionic continues to be uh, one of the teams that we go to for every single one of our releases to validate um, our release before we actually release it to the public. So I wanted to say thank you because I'm sure that that is not an easy thing to do at our pace of uh, release. And sometimes we probably mess with the dates a little bit on you guys. So thank you for all the hard work you guys do too. I was trying to be play um, <laughs> thank you thank you for uh including us in that whole process i know adam really appreciates it i just wondered if there's things that you've learned from being part of that process that have affected how you've created angular and i'm re- i've thought a lot about bringing up this topic and asking this question but i'm ready for the good and the bad um, because i think it's really cool that you guys work so closely with our engineering team and we rely on you so much to, to validate what we're doing here the change log is always important, and do never do not forget that change log ever. <laughs> and always be vocal about uh, things that you change, things that you depre- uh, depreciate, and and things that you just don't want users to uh, use. <laughs> fail, fa- fail very loudly, and fail uh, loudly, and fail yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, fail very fast, and rely on the tooling to help you out more than just you know. Uh, clever code. Nice. But again, thank you, because I'm sure that's taken lots of your guys' engineering time that could have been used elsewhere, and we totally appreciate you and everything you do. Yeah, well, it's been great because we've had a chance to, you know, kind of learn Angular 2 as it's being built and seeing, like, some of the internal decision-making and seeing how that whole process, like, works out. And it's just been a very beneficial uh, uh, to be part of that. Oh, yeah. As an Angular fanboy over here, a um, proud Angular fanboy, um, joining Ionic and, and being able to kind of see how, uh, get a lot of the details about how Angular works um, internally and, and, and from the engineering side and all that good stuff has been really cool. So 
Well, and from the uh, application developer community, the effect is that by that you cre- you create these kinds of pressures on the product that ben- that benefit us. So, uh, the fact that the Angular team has been turning to you for all this time and getting your feedback, you know, the rest of us just kick back and enjoy. We don't have to rely strictly on the Angular team's own wisdom and own experience. So, um, uh, we're all grateful to you, not just the Angular team. The community giving back to the community and everyone helping everyone else. <laughs> You know, in the time that we've done this podcast here, and I can't tell how many minutes we've been on, but uh, I went ahead and I installed on a fresh machine, I installed all the tools following your startup for Ionic and ran it in the web browser and ran it in my iOS simulator. Uh, and I can't imagine it's been more than 20 minutes here, but it was um, that was me taking my time and asking questions as I went along. And it's pretty good. I didn't run into a single glitch. So kudos to you on that, too. Yay. That makes us that's really good to hear. Yay. I can sleep tonight now. Wait, wait, there's smoke coming out of my Mac. Is that right? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's going to be a Java update. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. That's not us. That's totally on us. Yeah, it's Java's fault. I always blame that. So Lucas had a question earlier, which he was trying to get in there. Um, Lucas, did you want to ask that one about NativeScript? Or? Well, I think more so I wanted to just kind of know, like, I think you're constrained by the limitations of Cordova at the end of the day. Kind of following the history of uh, Cordova, as it you know it was PhoneGap and it got bought by Adobe, and um, you know I'm kind of wondering even you know what Adobe's commitment is to Cordova and and PhoneGap. Um, it kind of seems to just kind of waver a bit. Um, you know, have you ran into any kind of like hard limitations you know with Cordova itself, where it's like, hey, we'd love to do some more stuff, but unfortunately, Cordova just is not giving us what we need. Like, I mean, are there limitations to, to, to that kind of facet of the playground that you live in? I mean, for the most part, the only kind of limitations that I've really seen don't kind of fall on Cordova, uh, oddly enough. A lot of the bottlenecks that we have seen have been, you know, does the browser support it? Is this, you know, something that's kind of fitting to run in a browser or in a web view? Do the native operating systems actually have support for this? Like, like a trivial one, like well, like a, not a trivial one, but something that people could easily look over: keyboards. Like being able to kind of handle working with a keyboard and trying to you know adjust your layout with iOS. That's totally you know no problem. They report everything kind of as you expect in a reliable manner. But on Android. Uh, you know, we're not getting consistent keyboard size reads. We're not getting the events kind of come in a weird order. But just because there's so many different keyboards that could be out there, those have been a you know bottleneck, like dealing with the operating system and dealing with some cool. of those some of those things. But as time's gone on, you know, we're seeing the browser kind of catch up and you know take care of all those issues. Do you mind if I ask some coding questions about the apps that you guys are building with Ionic? Sure. So I'm looking at some sam- sample apps that you guys can your site, and I'm specifically talking Ionic too, and looking at the uh, cute puppy pics, for example, that people can download. Uh, <laughs> that's the sample app, just so people know I didn't make that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's like an I'm, app full of corgis. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not my side passion. Um, but... Inside this app, like, for example, I'm looking in here at the app folder, and you've got, like, an app components and tabs and home and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, 
how hard has it been for you guys to keep up with the pace that the Angular team is moving at? Because they've been moving fast as they get close to release. And if I'm, you know, Angular 2, how different is it developing for Ionic in here? Kind of looking at the code that I'm, that I'm staring at here. Um, it's not very much different. Uh, again, you know, I think one of the few things that we change is we have our own custom bootstrapping method. Uh, and that's just to make sure that our gestures, animations, and all of our components um, get bootstrap, get instantiated before your actual app does and handle all of all of that differences. But once you get past that, uh, you're writing Angular components. Uh, you can use everything that Act component has available to it. You're writing, you know, raw TypeScript, and you're just taking advantage of our. Uh, I guess we just call them injectables now. No longer providers or services, uh, but all of our injectables and all of our classes like uh, Nav Controller, um, and all the components like Ion Tabs. So, like I see here in your root component, which is called my app in this thing, you've got a custom bootstrap called Ionic Bootstrap. Is that the thing that you're talking about, the the custom yep. version of it? Okay. Yeah, that's the custom uh, bootstrapping logic. And I see you're, you're pulling things out of the Ionic Angular uh, module, and you're grabbing platform. So what does platform give you? Because that's not an Angular thing. That's an Ionic thing, right? Right. So platform kind of handles all of the uh, a lot of the Cordova-specific stuff. So, like, there's an event in Cordova called platform.ready or, or device ready um, for Cordova, sorry. Uh, but basically, it's when that kind of bridge between the operating system and the web view is made. Uh, and you want to call, like, native functionality, like calling the camera or creating, like, a SQLite uh, database. You want to make sure that all that's done after platform.ready. Um, so, we have our platform.ready, which handles the device-ready uh, events, uh, also handles like you know, when the app goes into background, uh, if you want to register a custom uh, action for you know, the Android's hardware back button. So it does quite a few things, but it kind of sits on top of what Cordova already does, and we just kind of make it, make it a promise and not instead of callbacks and make it easy for developers to use. And what's cool about this for people who haven't tried it yet is if you're inside of here, and that's what I love about Angular 2, this isn't really Ionic, but it's Angular 2, I guess, using ESX modules. If I'm in the TypeScript inside your class and I just want to find out, well, what's available inside the Ionic native library? I can just use IntelliSense to try to figure out, okay, I see a status bar, but is there any accelerometer? Is there any battery status? I don't have to go hunting and pecking through the docs. I can use uh, IntelliSense to do those things. You asked really. You mentioned really good things, so I want to ask a good question about that. You said you're using promises for like platform ready. Uh, there's been a big push with the Angular world to use RxJS. Is that something that's also going to be an option, or are you guys leaning towards a promise side, or is there a mixture? So there's definitely a mixture. Um, it kind of comes down to use the right, uh, use whatever is right for the situation. So I think a better example of where you, we can see this is inside of Ionic Native. So for things like the camera functionality, uh, we have a method called camera.getPicture, and then it can, instead of it returning an observable, it just returns a promise because it's just going to execute that one time and just like going to either return a success or a fail. It doesn't need to be you know, uh, 
an observable that can return multiple values over time. It just returns that one instance. But something so, like something like uh, geolocation, where you can get location and kind of uh, watch the geolocation as it changes, it's going to return um, that data as the uh, as the geolocation actually changes. So that makes sense for an observable. Uh, so you really have to pay attention to the API to figure out what you're getting. So right. if I'm getting multiple values, uh, you guys used Rx effectively as observables. And if I'm getting it to very something very deterministic that has an end, like I'm getting a picture from the camera, this isn't going to be 90 pictures. You know? Correct. So, right. So like, a good, it makes sense Like in cases like Bluetooth. It makes so much sense if you wanted to call like Bluetooth scan to just return an observable because that could change um, multiple times. Or right. if, so... But yeah, the IntelliSense kind of makes that easy, though. So it'll let you know, okay, you're calling get uh, picture or get picture on the camera. It return here are the options it takes, and it returns uh, promise. Awesome. And are you guys taking advantage of the Angular anima- Angular two animations yet, or you got your own animations? How's that working? Uh, we're not taking advantage of uh, the new NG animate yet. Um, we do have our own internal animations, um, which. It allows us to have a little bit more control over how views animate in because we're also animating not just the individual components, but we're in a, animating the components, the internal kind of nav bar, the nav bar titles animating in that kind of back button as the page comes in. So we're doing a lot of coordination and we just needed a lot more control uh, uh, than what NG Animate kind of uh, offered at the moment. and. You know, we were we were using had this out a couple months ago, and NG Animate was still uh, under development. So, what does the testing story for Ionic look like at this point? Testing in general, especially with uh, Angular two, is still an evolving story. Uh, no one really has all the answers yet, so we're all kind of trying to figure it out as we go on. And as frameworks mature. Um, Testing story will become much much more clear, and uh, everyone will kind of ha- have an agreed upon standard. Eh, testing. Who cares? Oh gosh, don't say that, John. <laughs> if it works not here, if it works in a browser, <laughs> ship it. Oh gosh. <laughs> Word will that's, never listen to this recording, so he'll never know. That's my that's that's my whole uh, workshop at Angular Connect is on testing, which I care. I care. I know John cares too. I do. I like CSS so. Oh, I, I'm gosh. not too particularly uh, focused on testing. <laughs> <laughs> I I only test my CSS. That's the only thing I do test. It's all automated CSS testing. <laughs> Just think about that for a minute <laughs> before you before you want to kill yourself. All right. Well, we should wrap up. Uh, we had a couple of people have to drop off unexpectedly for unexpectedly for various reasons. So. We'll uh, go through John and I. We'll do our picks, and then we'll let you guys do your picks, and then we'll end the show. So, John, how about you? What picks you got for us? Uh, sure. So, obviously, Ionic and Angular are awesome, but I'm going to pick something slightly different in the coding world, and that is I was playing around with VS Code, and an extension has existed for a while that I didn't even know that I'm really excited now exists, and that is the Icon extension for Visual Studio Code. So the reason I'm excited about this is that now when you're in that left panel, uh, some people call it the Solution Explorer, the Finder, the Windows Explorer, whatever you call it, the project view of your tree view, they now have an extension in VS Code that you can pull down and show icons for HTML, TypeScript, CSS, whatever, 
Uh, and I love that because it just makes it super easy to see and identify files, especially with Angular 2 when you've got three files named the same, like uh, home component TS, home component HTML, and home component CSS. Uh, it Not only is the extension different, but now you've got a file icon next to each, and it makes it easier to pick and choose what you need. So definitely look into your extensions and go check that out. It's free, and it's awesome. Okay. Um, I've got just uh, one pick that I'd like to go over, and that is Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder uh, died yesterday as we were recording this. Yeah. And I think that he's just an amazing, amazing actor. Some of the best movies uh, ever produced uh, he starred in. Uh, one of my favorites, which I have probably seen at least a couple of hundred times, Young, Franken Young Frankenstein, one of my favorite movies of all time. So if you haven't seen Young Frankenstein first, go see it. But I'm just going to pick Gene Wilder, a, a great actor. and um, we'll, we'll, I'll definitely miss, uh, miss him. Yeah. Blazing Saddles, Stir Crazy, yeah. mm -hmm. Willy Wonka. Uh-huh. So many great movies. Silver Streak. Yeah. Great guy. It's going to be a big loss. Yep. Uh, Justin, how about you? Um, yeah. So uh, because I've been so focused on progressive web apps lately, um, and service workers are a, a cornerstone of that. Um, but they seem to be uh, hard to get into for a lot of developers or, or not really understood completely. Um, there's a Mozilla website called the uh, Service Worker Cook Cookbook. Um, you could just go to it at HTTPS uh, service, W-O-R-K-E dot R-S. Um, and it has a huge ton of examples about uh, different things you can do with service workers um, real code examples that you can literally copy and paste and it, it works out of the box, um, which is the best kind of docs in my opinion. And kind of just gives you a nice overview of, of all the different things you can do with service workers and how it works and, and all that good stuff. I think if you're getting to getting into progressive web apps, um, that's definitely a, a good website to check out. Then Mike? Uh, yeah, so my pick, um, I try to do, especially on the uh, weekend, uh, try to do as little programming as possible and try to focus on other things. So I have a subreddit uh, called DIY, uh, just full of awesome like little projects that you can do, and uh, some of them ranging from being like these huge remodels of an entire bedroom, and some of them just being I made a little shelf for uh, for my kitchen. Totally something uh, not technical related, but breaks up being focused on code all the time and gives you like another output for uh, for all your energy and focus. Something I find really important. Well, thanks again, guys, for coming on the show. Always happy to talk about Ionic. Um, great product. And we will see everybody next week, I guess. Yeah, this was great, all guys. Right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks a lot for having us. Yep. Thank you. Later. See ya.